You guys, this might be the episode you've been waiting for. OMG, we've been talking about the Enneagram for like ever. Like, I don't know when I discovered it and just started talking about it all the time. But this is the Enneagram episode. And we don't exclusively talk about the Enneagram, but... Rachel Alexandria is an Enneagram expert, and I was so delighted to connect with her on Instagram because Insta's my fave, and Alexandria agreed to chat with me, and I am so excited to share this with you. But I guess first I should tell you who I am, right? So this is Conversations with a Wounded Healer, and I'm your host, Sarah Buino. So thank you so much for being here today. I am a psychotherapist in Chicago, and I have a private practice called Head Heart Therapy. And I just love talking about healing and spirituality and psychology and all of the things that humans are and humans do. So the Enneagram is such a great way to kind of capture all of the things about humans. So let me tell you a little bit about Rachel. Rachel Alexandria worked for eight years as a licensed psychotherapist and now serves as a soul medic and mentor to people who want to adult like revolutionaries. Her clients become masterful at stepping through their fears, speaking their truth, and boldly creating lives of purpose and meaning. She's written two best-selling books about navigating conflict and conquering the inner critic, and she created the program Tapping for Your Enneagram Type. So I hope you enjoy my interview with Rachel Alexandria. Rachel, welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. How are you? I am so good. Thank you for having me, Sarah. I am so excited. This is another amazing Instagram friendship. We haven't even really made a friendship yet, but I'm <laughs> I'm 100% positive that's going to happen in the course of this hour. So yeah, yeah. Hope that's okay with you. <laughs> I am always game for being friends with amazing people. Yay. Well, why don't we start with uh, you just telling people who you are and what you do? Oh, okay. So I am formerly a psychotherapist and I released that specific way of working to become what I am now, which is basically like a guidance support system for people who want to adult like revolutionaries. Mm. So <laughs> I teach, I write books, and I work with people in groups and one-on-ones -on -one to really get through their fears and speak their truth and create life's lives <laughs> of purpose and meaning. Mm -hmm. So I work with people mainly to help them create what they've really been aching to, to build, mm. whether that's like a better life for themselves or, you know, a specific project, things like that. I work with people who have great hearts. That makes my mm -hmm. job so amazing because mm -hmm. who doesn't want to make somebody who really deserves it into a better version of themselves? Yeah, that's awesome. So I'd love to hear the origin of Rachel <laughs> from wherever you'd like to start to what <laughs> led you to be a therapist and then huh? what led you to make this shift. Because I think that that evolution is so important for us to be transparent about. Cool. Well, the origin of Rachel, long ago, up in the clouds, <laughs> there was <laughs> this little soul. No, I know. So, you know, from a lot of my early life, well, my early, early life, I did have ideas of what I wanted to do. I'd be like, mm -hmm. I don't know. I'll just be a writer like it was easy. Right. Or, you know, I'll just be a star of some kind. Right. Um, <laughs> but I didn't really, you know, when I was like growing up more, I don't really have the character to become like a performing artist hmm. as a vocation or something like that. 
it wasn't really a big driver and I didn't really know what I wanted to do. So I just kind of got your run of the mill English degree with poetry mm. writing emphasis and then was like, I don't know, I'll just get some job or something. <laughs> nice. And uh, I did that for about a year and then I was really dissatisfied. I was just like, I don't know, everything feels sort of stale and meaningless. And I don't know, I guess I should just change my life somehow. And instead of and at 22 or 23 thinking, maybe I should see a therapist or something. We didn't have life coaches back then, mm -hmm. 20 years ago. But I didn't think, oh, I should see a guidance counselor or something. I thought, I'll just go to grad school. That's a good way to reform your life. <laughs> mm -hmm. And pay, you know, tens of thousands of dollars. Yeah, I was lucky back then. The first round of grad school I did was a Master of Fine Arts and Poetry. Oh, wow. At University of Florida. So I actually didn't pay a lot of money because I had to, a TA ship and... Uh. You know, I had residency my second year and it was a public school. So I actually didn't come away from that much in debt. Thank God. Mm. So I did that again, not career minded, just because I was like, I don't know. I feel like I need to keep reinventing myself like you do mm. when you go away to summer camp. So grad school number one was my my version of summer camp. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then I came back to Seattle, which is where I ended up living for about 22 years total. And just kind of, again, got a job. Like it was 2002, the economy wasn't great. And I just kind of got another secretarial job. I didn't know what else to do. Then I ended up meeting my future husband, as I like to say. <laughs> right. Yeah. And uh, we were good for a while and we were, you know, living together. And at one point he just said, what are you, what are you doing with your life? Like, mm you don't care about this job and you're not making good money at it. Like mm. you're so talented, you know, you should be doing something that matters, something you care about and preferably something that makes better money. I mean, I was making $15 an hour right? and he was right. Like I would just sort of roll out of bed and go to this job that I didn't even really need to be at 40 hours a week. I think earlier Rachel didn't want a bunch of rules and obligations and I didn't know what I cared about that was, you know, going to make that worthwhile. So I found a job that didn't matter that much. Mm. <laughs> I mean, you know, it did to the people who I was working with, but you mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? I do. So that was my first like real come to Jesus moment. I don't know how, how to better define that. I know. Um, there is no better term than come to there's Jesus. There's no better term. <laughs> really? Like just a come, come to your soul, come to spirit yeah. kind of moment. And I looked at jobs online and on the paper and <laughs> we still had the paper then. And nothing was obviously going to be any different. And I just remember kind of looking up at the sky and being like, mm. you're telling me it's not that easy. <laughs> you're mm. telling me I'm going to have to work for it. Oh, Yeah, I just could feel it. I just knew I was like, this is not like, a, oh, I just get to apply for a job and suddenly make twice as much money and do something that's amazing now. Mm. So when I reflected on it, I was like, what do I really want? And the answer was pretty clear. I was like, I've always like I had a cubicle job where I didn't interact with people that much unless mm -hmm. I chose to. And I was like, I hate this. I want to work with people. Turns out I'm a huge extrovert. Putting me in a cubicle by myself is a terrible idea. <laughs> Turns out. <laughs> Turns out that does not work well for Rachel. Oh, yeah. I really want to help people suffer less, you know, have better lives. So I was like, frick, I think I need to I need to be a therapist. <laughs> Life coaching was just You can say fuck up. on here, by the way. Woo! We endorse the F word highly. Awesome. Yeah, that was definitely how it felt. I was like, fuck, I have to fucking go to grad school mm -hmm. again. I just got out of grad school. Mm -hmm. Damn it. So it felt like the right thing. And life coaching was just becoming a profession. 
But when I looked at kind of what was allowed, I really wanted something that let me get into the depths with people, which life coaching, fun fact for your audience who may not know this, life coaching does not give people the license to do that. It does not allow people to work with clients, you know, that have a general assessment functioning lower than 60. So people Mm -hmm. who are really having big struggles Mm -hmm. that's affecting their life should not be working with life coaches. So, which I know you know, but... uh, No, I appreciate that distinction. Yeah, it's, well, I don't want to get into sidetrack. There's a lot of amazing coaches out there and there's a lot of not amazing coaches out there and there's not enough regulation. Yes, So agreed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I wanted to do it the, the, you know, quote, right way. And uh, there wasn't really certification and stuff back then. So I went to grad school and got my my degree in a, applied behavioral sciences mm. and uh, became a therapist. And I loved it right during that second year of grad school, which I loved being in grad school for that because it was a very experiential grad school. Mm. So it was all about work on your own shit. Yeah. Physician heal thyself. Fuck yes. And it was very systemically oriented, which means, you know, instead of seeing an individual Again, you probably know this, but your listeners might not. Instead of seeing an individual as the cause of the problem, we would look at everything as a system. If you have a problem, Mm -hmm. what's up with your family? What's up with your workplace? Like Mm -hmm. everything contributes to a person's dis-ease, basically. Sounds like social work. I'm in it. Right. Nice. Mm -hmm. So I loved that. And in my second year, it was just kind of like a bunch of things happened at the same time where spirit came knocking at my door. What is that? Oh, huh? I, I hear you. Hello? Wait, spirit? it doesn't go away. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> they just start getting louder and eventually they sweep the leg. You know, they just take yeah, you out. So. That's a really great way to put it. It's so true. If you don't listen to the whispers, you're not going to like the shouts. Thankfully, I don't do that. So spirit just came knocking. It was like, by the way, Rachel, you're an energy healer. And I was like, what is that? I don't, what? No, I don't want to be a crazy person who wears 50 scarves and isn't in touch with reality. But at the same time, like I could feel a part of my heart just like exploding with joy at the same time. I was like, what? Mm-hmm. So, and I'm an Enneagram eight for those in your audience who know the Enneagram. So we are going to get into that. Uh-huh. So there's like a very... At the time, like eights are not great with vulnerability and we're not great with radical interchange (laughs) that requires us to be messy and not know what the hell we're doing. So that was part of a, a big journey also. So basically in that second year of grad school, I started like just going to all kinds of spirit workers and different energy healers and, and spirit like sent me people. And I had my first radical transformationary experience in the moment working with a healer that I, I mean, I was kind of going and I was skeptical, but it kind of seemed like mm. it was getting better. And uh, and she led me to my first like, whoa, I was feeling fine. And suddenly I'm like sobbing yeah. and I'm good with tears. Like I will easily cry, but I wasn't even tracking. So like she released mm. something from my body that had been this massive pain and the mm. difference of how that felt and how it came out of nowhere and how I felt after that release. I was like, this, this is why I got into this business. This is what I want to help people with is these radical transformational moments. And then the support in between to like really build upon them to make an Mm. amazing life. So I became an energy healer or I harnessed that or I claimed it. I Mm -hmm. claimed my energy healer. Yeah. 
after training some in that. And I found family constellations work and I found the Enneagram. Yes. Yes. So I started apprenticing in the Enneagram with someone and... (laughs) I know I did not, I did not get my regular, the regular certification training. I did not officially do that. I apprenticed Mm -hmm. with someone for three years. Mm. That's how I learned the Enneagram. Wow. Can we, can we just, just very briefly and then finish your story and then we'll go back into it. But the Enneagram, I talk about it all the time, but I probably don't explain it quite as well as you could. (laughs) What's, what's the, what's the elevator pitch for the Enneagram? The Enneagram is a system with ancient roots. So there's a lot of personality typing systems that have kind of been created. And I like to say the Enneagram was unearthed from what actually is. It comes from a piece of sacred geometry. Oh, that <laughs> it comes just from... vibrated in my chest. Yeah. Ooh, okay, go on. It comes from a piece of sacred geometry that has roots beyond what we know. And this piece of sacred geometry can describe so many different things and how they're interconnected. It describes processes. And more than 100 years ago, a couple people were starting to use it to describe types of people and how we are and how we interrelate and how different aspects of us kind of shift and move and work together within us. So the Enneagram, sometimes I like to say, is kind of a mystery school. So a lot of personality type systems. <laughs> I did, my eyes just got really big and I cracked my head. To the side. <laughs> she was like, Brrr. yeah, Scooby-Doo moment. Yes. Oh, I love you. I love you. <laughs> so it's a mystery school to me. And it's not a thing that most people will get by reading just a book because mm-hmm. it requires a transmission. It requires an energy transmission. This is a thing that used to be taught Mm. from master to apprentice or master to groups of apprentices who were deeply studying this thing. It's not just a list of adjectives of types of people. And you can't find your type just by taking a test. No, exactly. You can get clues to your type. You can get indications. But to really get into the Enneagram is to get access to a path of inner life study that will show you the box that you get stuck in and the box that other people Mm -hmm. get stuck in, what your energy is like and what other people's energies are like and what motivates and sort of transfixes you compared Mm -hmm. to other people. So what I love about the Enneagram is there's so many times where I was taking something personally and upon better Mm -hmm. understanding people's types, I was like, oh, that wasn't about me. They're not being a jerk or they're not being, you know, or I'm not a problem. And it also showed me hidden gems in my own character that I had thought were problems. And it showed me pieces of how I was behaving and dedicating my energy to that actually weren't helping me, that seemed like they were helping me, but weren't helping me and and pieces that didn't even belong to me that were really my parents' energies. So it excavated things for me that I don't know how else I would have gotten to. To know the Enneagram is to have access to information about yourself that makes you feel like you're not broken, you're not wrong, and you're not alone. And that's so important for most people. That just knowing, oh, I am this way and so are mm-hmm. one-ninth of the whole population. And it's not wrong. And the world needs all of us. So back to my journey. So yeah, so there I am in 2006, 2007, getting my degree as a therapist, 
figuring out this energy healing thing, I was like, I can't go back to grad school again. Oh my God, <laughs> what is this? Spirit sent me a teacher and then sent me mm. another and it was, yeah. So then I was learning the Enneagram and learning how my energy healing worked. And so I combined basically being a therapist and an energy healer. And I would kind of offer one kind of session or another. All my therapy clients, for the most part, at some point got some energy work based on their own consent. And I did that for eight years and I was running my own business. And I, during that time, wrote my first book. It's called Woman Overboard, Six Ways Women Avoid Conflict and One Way to Live Drama-Free. Because I realized, oh, I have conflict avoidance issues and that created some really big rifts in my life. Like that's part of what took apart my marriage. I am equi-winged. Oh, oh, okay. Does that mean both? <laughs> yes. Okay. This is exactly a question I had for you because I think that's me too. I'm, yeah. I'm pretty sure I'm a three and I'm, I feel like I'm split between two and four for my wings. I'm sure you are. And, you know, wings, I think all the, the major teachers would agree that wings can change. And if really part of the point of the Enneagram is to even is to like walk the whole circuit Mm. is to access all of those different energies. And then, yeah, there's no reason why you can't have energy from mm. both of your wings, especially the healthier you are. I tend to think people who oh. are healthier are more likely to be equi-winged. Interesting. Okay. The three checks off that box. Winning. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> right? I did it. I win. I'm awesome. Oh, my God. Okay, You're going to love right. this, by the way. After I did that Enneagram launch with Sarah Jane and uh, Enneagram and Coffee, mm -hmm. people who reached out for podcasts, I think they've all been threes. <laughs> we are the best. Wait, no. I know. Not, I don't know. We all think we always think we're winners. Oh, my God. Oh yes. My God. So. So, yeah, I was learning the Enneagram. And oh, yeah, I was. OK, so I wrote my first book. Mm -hmm. And around that time, right after that book launched that next year, I wasn't ever really being that successful financially at what I was doing. I lived in an expensive mm. city. I had my own office and, you know, divorce had been financially hard, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. as anybody who's been divorced knows it's financially hard. And I maybe made some not so smart choices about <laughs> how we went about that, mm -hmm. which at the time seemed kind. And in retrospect, I was like, that was so dumb. Mm. So always talk to a lawyer, my friends, always talk to a lawyer. Yeah. And my husband is not a bad person. This is not right. his fault. This is just, I should have talked to a lawyer. So yeah, I was, I was having some financial hardship. I still hadn't really gotten as successful financially as I needed to, even though I knew my work was good. My clients were happy. Mm -hmm. And I just was like, spirit, what is up with this? Why is this always such a slog? Mm -hmm. I mean, that was a conversation many, many, many times. And I'd be like, should I quit? Should I just go get a job? And always it would be like, no, stick it out, babe. Wow. Ugh, yeah, that was hard. And for the first few years, I was like, I can't get a job. I love this. And after a yeah. while, I just get so worn down by it. I was like, I don't even care. I mean, I care, but this is just too hard. But Spirit kept being like, nope, stick it out. And then it would kind of get better, you know. Mm -hmm. So in 2015, I was just like, something about this has to change. Tell me what needs to change. And I started getting messages about shifting the nature of how I work, basically. Mm -hmm. And I had like literally just gotten my full licensure. Because mm. <laughs> in uh, the state I was living in, you could be basically like a licensed associate while you mm -hmm. were while you were gating all your hours. Mm -hmm. So that's what I was. And then I finally was fully licensed, did all my tests and everything fully licensed. And then the next year it was like, 
and let all that go. (laughs) (laughs) God damn it, spirit. Well, you know, funny enough, I am not a three. I don't really care. I don't care about the credential that much at all. Mm -hmm, So, mm -hmm. I mean, I really looked at, you know, is this wise? Like, I want to make sure I'm not doing something. But I was like, this isn't, I need to step out of being a therapist because what I want to do is take people further. I want to like really Mm -hmm, be in their mm -hmm. lives. I'm making like claw, claw hands. (laughs) (laughs) Get in there. I have a client who I still have. And we would go on walks together, like all mm-hmm. around the city, like walking sessions, you know, which mm. as a therapist feels a little dicier mm. and being able to be at people's houses and being able to mm-hmm. help them with their projects. And so I basically shifted to a retainer based model. So people hire me for three or six or more months at a time so that they're like bought in. There's like one payment. It's not a decision every time. Should I go back? Do I, can I afford it? I mean, if you can't afford it, like obviously you shouldn't be hiring people who are package deals, but it was more, you know, people who have the money, but I'll go, oh, I, you know, I'm kind of busy and I didn't do my homework. Mm -hmm, So maybe I mm -hmm. should just skip this week and save a little money like that stuff. Yep. That is not even in the equation anymore. And I fucking Mm. love it. I love that that's not the deal anymore. Jelly. Uh Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You get it. Right. I do. Yeah. And I stepped more out of working on kind of your basic mental health issues. Not that they Mm. don't come up. Like, let's be honest, Mm -hmm. even if somebody hires me for this, you know, high level retainer level stuff, mental health issues will still come up. Like there's still anxiety. There's still depression. It's not like they go away, but that's not how we're focused. I'm still supporting them through it. I still have all my transformational techniques, but it's always with this like eye on the prize of like, where are we trying to get to? But sometimes Like I have one client where we're really trying to help launch his business that has multiple branches. I mean, it is launched, but we're trying to like get him into this next level of online teacher and and program provider and stuff like that. And there was a whole season, like a whole package where all we did was really help him through grief of surrendering a bunch of ideas about family and when one of the parents had died and that's all you can do, you know? I mean, it's all well and good to say, I want to get this project done, but it's like, you can't do it at the expense of yourself. So yeah, this gives me a license to work, not license. It gives me the freedom to work. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Let me not be, let me not be unclear. I'm not, I'm not licensed to do this, but there isn't a license to do this. That's okay. And then, oh, and also in 2010, I became a Constellations facilitator, family Constellations oh, cool. facilitation. Oh, yeah. Wow. And then I wrote two more books and created an Enneagram video tapping program. So there's other mm-hmm. stuff, but... No big deal, right? <laughs> yeah. So do you consider yourself a healer? Yeah, I do. I mean, I know some people will say, I'm not the healer, you know, spirit's mm-hmm. the healer and I'm the facilitator. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, to me, that's semantics. Yeah. Like yeah. I do energy healing work. And yes, of course, what I'm being is a vessel for Mm -hmm. the magic of spirit that really is in all of us. I'm being the hose. I'm guiding that energy. Yeah. And how about the term wounded healer? How does that sit with you? Oh, yeah. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) physician heal thyself, you know. Mm -hmm. I really see that the things that I'm able to work with people on are things where we really get traction. They're all places where I've had to face that kind of Mm -hmm. thing in myself. Mm -hmm. So yeah, the, you know, seven or eight years that I spent not really being financially solid, that was a lot of years of bringing up all my shit. I mean, I always say to people, if you really want to face your inner shit, start a business. 
Yes. Well, <laughs> either that or have kids. Oh, sure. Because I feel like I don't have kids, but from either. what I hear with folks who have kids, a lot of the stuff that I intentionally tried to avoid by not having children <laughs> fucking shows up in my business ownership. I'm like, God uh-huh. damn it. <laughs> Rejection, abandonment. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. does anybody really want anything from Perfectionism. me? Perfectionism. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Procrastination, lack of success. You know, mm-hmm. all, yeah. All of your fears will come up when you start a business. But also like I find as a healer, and I'm wondering if you find this too, that whatever my clients are about to face, I usually encounter it three to six months ahead of time. Like spirits like, oh, let me get you prepped for this smack. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I'm Mm -hmm. like, oh, (laughs) and then I work through it and then it starts showing up in all my clients and I'm like, oh, oh, it's so crazy. (sighs) I just, I started a training for developmental trauma, which is essentially, Mm. you know this, but I'll say it for the audience too, like relational trauma based on our childhood, right? When our needs didn't get met. And Mm. I have not changed my website. I have not done anything to advertise in a different way. And all of a sudden, most of our inquiries are about developmental trauma. Did people actually say that when they inquire? When we ask, like, what are you, what are you looking? And they may say it in a way that's not the clinical term, right? But that's essentially what they're saying. And I'm I was like, wondering, I'm like, are people starting to use that term? That'd be interesting. A little bit, a little bit. Wow. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it used to just be like, oh, I, my doctor said I need CBT. I'm like, <laughs> no, you don't. Your doctor doesn't fucking know what they're talking about. You don't need CBT. But if that's what you think you need, I mean, yeah. Well, I don't want to slander any particular modality, but yeah. Agreed. I have a friend that I went to school with and every time I mention CBT, he's so he's so funny. He like challenges me in the most gentle, loving way. But I, uh, Charles, I can't I can't get on board with CBT. I can't. <laughs> I find that I'm I, I think I use it in very specific ways. Like mm-hmm. it's a tool like everything mm-hmm. else, but it can't be the only tool. Right. It just can't be because it doesn't address the body as a whole system. Right. We can't just think our way through our problems. We can't just mind hack our way through our problems. Like you need other stuff. You need to involve the body. Yes. So I want to talk more about the Enneagram because I'm (laughs) obsessed. (laughs) And also I loved the way that you talk about essentially you didn't say these words, but like activating your client into their like best self. Right. Mm. And so Mm -hmm. how do you use the Enneagram in order to do that with folks? You know, I wouldn't say I always lead with it. Some people are super into it. And so it comes up a lot, mm-hmm. but I am always with everyone and anyone I talk to or anything, like there's some part of my brain running the database calculations of is it Enneagram type was six, seven, four. Right. Um, you hear some of the keywords and like pings it. Partly because if I know someone's type, I know pitfalls to avoid and how to Mm -hmm. treat them better so that they feel seen, heard and happy, you know? Mm. Let's talk about the three. Yeah. (laughs) Let's talk. She's all, let's talk about me. Right. Don't you love how three rhymes with me? Right. (laughs) And it's probably not an accident. (laughs) But so pitfalls. I'm curious because I've I've read the books, like you Mm. said, but I'm, you know, it's funny because there are things about the three, like I'm a social preservation Mm. type. And Mm -hmm. so I'm like that counter type. Mm. So some of the general three stuff, like the denial of feelings and that I don't necessarily resonate with. Right. So what are the pitfalls for threes? 
Well, so the pitfalls for threes in their life versus the pitfalls for three, like for dealing with threes. I'm actually mm. pulling up my my own Instagram list here because oh, I, amazing. I, I've, I've posted on Instagram my a few like type descriptions. Mm. So, I mean, the pitfalls for being a three. So the, the tricky part is how do you really know that something matters to you for you mm. and not because of... <sighs> The accolades you're going to get, not because of, I mean, as an eight, I also have this, I could be good at lots of stuff. It doesn't mean I should necessarily do it. But mm-hmm. as an eight, those things show up as like challenges of like, oh, this thing could be done and I could get it done. And that would be meaningful in the world and people need mm-hmm. it or this person mm-hmm. right here needs it. And I, I like getting stuff done and I see how it's very accomplishable. And for three, it's more like, boy, I sure get a lot of praise for doing this. I should do more of it. Mm-hmm. But that's very externally motivated, right? Mm-hmm. Does it really make you happy beyond the accolades? I mean, that's the, the core three challenge. Every Enneagram mm-hmm. type has a core challenge. Other challenges for threes. <laughs> it's interesting that you have a podcast because a lot of threes are very like, actually, that, well, I mean, other threes do, but are very like get to the point. Like efficiency, you know what I mean? Is this yeah. like, let's just get oh, this. Oh, that's how I am in, in life for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and that can be challenging, especially relating to other people who need to tell a full story. Like it's interesting mm-hmm. that you're a social worker because you may sometimes have to just sit through people like blah, blah, blahing for a long time yep. before they get to the point and you see the point and you're like, but just do this. That actually shows up with my staff, I realize, because when mm. I supervise, mm. I'm going in and I have like, OK, we need to address X, Y, Z. And they just need to talk about how they are first. Yes, they do. And so I've really like <laughs> and what you talked about earlier with like being able to have this compassion, knowing that that's, you know, I'm not a bad person because that's the way that my brain works. It's exactly. just that's a thing. And so I know that I have to go in there creating space for non-efficient quote unquote conversation (laughs) so that we can be efficient and get to the important things. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. We need time for task and we need time Mm -hmm. for maintenance. Mm -hmm. Threes, unless they they start harnessing their idea of success to Mm -hmm. successfully creating maintenance time, like it sounds like you have, like you figured that out. You figured out how to Nope. <laughs> I'm in process. Well, what I said to another type three that I did a podcast with, she was talking about her type five spouse, make it your job, make it your job and see how good you get at it. I mean, if you can figure out a way, like mm-hmm. what are the accolades that you get from emotional labor, basically? And it's tricky because they're not obvious. They're not like, people don't tend to come up unless they're super savvy. People don't tend to come up to me and be like, wow, Rachel, I really see how that whole conversation we had could have gone pear-shaped, but you did all these things to help mm-hmm. hold it together. Mm-hmm. No, mm-hmm. people are mm-hmm. like, oh, I'm glad that went that worked out. Or they'll be like, oh, I had this great idea. And I'm like, mm. <laughs> idea came from right. me. <laughs> right. I was literally talking about that in therapy and supervision yesterday because mm. one of the things I've set myself up for is being the person who has all the referrals for everyone. So mm. everyone comes to me, friends, colleagues, random people on the street. I'm constantly getting barraged with, do you know someone who works with this? And the accolade of being that person Mm -hmm. is what's so important to me. And then also the fear of rejection, of judgment 
if I don't show up, continue to show up as that person, which feels more like the two wing. Mm, mm -hmm. Right. I'm not being helpful enough. Yeah. And it's my job. I'm the only one who can do it. (laughs) (laughs) You know that one, too? (laughs) Yeah. So eight is Mm -hmm. sometimes described as Atlas holding up the world. Like that's how we can feel. Not because of the accolades, but because, you know, a lot of people aren't so competent and we're Mm -hmm. competent as fuck. So we're just like, I have to hold all these things together. And if I don't do it, who's no one's going to do it. So, yes, I do know that that shouldering the burden of the world and having to learn to give that back. Yeah. So if people want to find their type. Mm. What options do they have in addition to, of course, hiring you? I sent my friend to you for her birthday because we couldn't figure out what type she was. (laughs) And she said that within like five minutes, you had typed her absolutely correctly. (laughs) She's so impressed with that. So people can hire you. Amazing, wonderful. Maybe they can't afford that. So what other options are there? Well, so let me be specific because I think it's important just in the Enneagram community to say, I don't type people. I help them assess their types and Mm -hmm. I can provide like fairly confident sort of leanings, like I'm Mm -hmm. doing differential diagnosis. Mm -hmm. So no shade to your friend because she's delightful. It probably was more than five minutes. I had a few (laughs) strong suspicions. I had some rule outs. Mm -hmm. I was like, I was like poking at and she's the one who claimed it. She was like, I really Mm -hmm. feel like this. And I was like, yeah, that makes the most sense. Yeah. So, because it matters less what an, well, this is an important thing for your audience for anything. It matters less what an expert thinks about you. It matters more what you think about you. Mm. Always. And that's true for therapy too. Exactly. So yes, I do typing assessment sessions, but I also have a, a page on my website. So thank you for, <laughs> and it's called, it's at rachelalexandria.com slash find my type. But mm-hmm. it's like hyphenated, find hyphen, my hyphen yeah. type. Mm-hmm. And on that page, I give my record because people kept asking me all the time. And I'm like, I don't, mm. you know, I don't want to do this. And people right. kept asking so much. I'm like, I need to just make a page. Here's some yeah. places you can go. Here's some, what I say is, you know, I have a video on there, like a free video that gives you like a taster of what the Enneagram types feel like. Because if you can't get the energy of them, adjectives aren't going to help. Right, right. I recommend following Enneagram and Coffee on Instagram. Mm -hmm. There's all these typing tests you can take who at least give you examples or like kind of give Mm. you suggestions. And I list four of them. And then also on this page, I have typing assessment sessions that I've video Mm -hmm. recorded with their permission Mm. and have shared. So you can watch me. Oh, one for each type? I don't know if I have every single type on there. I think I have at least five or six of them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Not numbers, five or six. I have at least six sessions on there. And there's probably a Mm -hmm. couple more I need to add. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you can at least start to, and through watching some of them, you can kind of get the sense of the questions I would ask. Mm -hmm. And it may help. It may, you know, especially if the person ends up being your type. Right. So yeah, that's a place to get started. RachelAlexandria.com slash find my type. Yeah, I'm probably going to get the tapping for your type videos. Yeah, I started I looked at the preview of it and started to cry. (laughs) (laughs) So that felt real, uh, very real to me. (laughs) Yeah. And I actually had an experience with tapping where I'm actually kind of bummed at the practitioner, but Mm. the tapping in and of itself was so real, like 
that shit works. Mm. Yeah. Tapping was the first thing that that was the part of the thing that had me into my first mm. transformational experience. Really? It was, mm -hmm. it was a, it was a mixed modality that included some tapping pieces. Mm -hmm. And when I was like, what well, just happened? The practitioner was like, you know, part of this, you can go learn for free. You can learn about tapping. Mm -hmm. And I immediately went home and like downloaded Gary Craig's book and all that. I was like, ah, how do I do this? And I started doing it with all of my clients in my internship. Cause I was just, I mean, you know how internship is like you get people in there who are not going to mm -hmm. get better. Right. They're just having to show up for meds and, yep. or they're showing up because like they want the connection, but they're not going to get better. Not in that modality anyway, but tapping, like they could all tap with me and it would be right. a relief. Some relief. Yeah. yeah. And I ended up writing a book about tapping. That's amazing. <laughs> I have a random question that doesn't yeah. have anything to do with the Enneagram necessarily, or maybe it does. But one of the things that I find so fascinating is why some of us really show up for the deep healing work and why why some people really get caught up in fear or denial and, and don't get to access that deep part of themselves in this lifetime. And I'm just curious if you have any thoughts based on your work with clients, what you've noticed. It's a big question. It is. And I, I yeah, I appreciate it because I do notice the same thing. Like not everybody's here for this ride. I don't know about the why. I just know that it's true. And it's not at this point in my life, I might judge certain individuals because of my own frustration, because I mm -hmm. want something more from them. But, mm -hmm. but when I come back to what feels true, it's just something that is part of their path or it isn't, you know? Yeah. And when I think about 7 billion souls on this planet, mm -hmm. if we were all doing the deep healing all the time, like who would run the shit? You know what I mean? <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Somebody's got to make the donuts. I mean, Somebody's got to make the donuts and somebody's got to play the villain, you know, somebody's, mm. somebody's got to hold the challenges for us. Not that like we never do that. Not like there's like good and bad and whatever, but. But you're right. Yes. So someone has to create the challenges and. Many someones. And if we're all one soul, you know, if we're all one love, ultimately, if there's just one energy that is all mm -hmm. of us, then there's parts of me out there in the world. Mm -hmm. You know, that perpetrator is also me. Yeah, it just is different mirrors, different fragments of mirror everywhere mm -hmm. showing me the different aspects of myself. So when I see people who've done medium bad things or even really bad things, mm -hmm. I always try to ask myself, is there a place where I can understand yes. them doing that? Yes. Where I can feel in myself, Always. if I were in a different scenario, mm -hmm. that I could understand, do, do I have a part of me somewhere who is that? Mm-hmm. And the answer is always yes. I mean, always. sometimes even on more minor issues, sometimes I'm like, I don't feel like that at all. But that's kind of different mm -hmm. than could I be like that? And I want to just kind of put a little nuance in there just for folks who might feel a little bit invalidated by that. Because what, mm. what we're saying is that essentially it's possible to have empathy for every human behavior because it comes from trauma. It comes from mm, pain. Mm -hmm. And we're not justifying that that people who do, quote unquote, bad things are that that's right and it's OK. But, you know, there is a level of acceptance. And I think once we get to the healing, like we get to mm. we get to be pissed and we get to. Grieve. Absolutely. Absolutely. We get to do that. And then when we come because I'm actually in a situation right now with someone where I'm starting to create space for forgiveness for the mm. first time in a couple years. And I had to go through Absolutely. hating them. I had to go through, of course. you know, 
thinking that they were the devil because otherwise I wouldn't have felt safe. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You Mm -hmm. have to, you have to other people in the moment, you know, however long that moment takes. And I absolutely agree. I've been pissed at people. I've been tapping and be like, I would never do that. Who would ever do that? What a horrible person. You're the asshole, you know, like partly so that I don't feel responsible. Like I've had to, I won't say everyone, I've had to blame other people for things and like shove everything off of me, except the things that really were on me, my behaviors that I really do think are appropriate to claim. But I've had to shove everything. Like some people will be like, well, it's always a two-way street. Fuck no, it isn't. Sometimes people are just assholes. In fact, I have a whole thing where I teach about how do you recognize harmful people and what do you do about it? Because there's some people that no matter how healthy you are with them are still going to be assholes and treat you bad. And to recognize that is critical because otherwise you keep being like, well, what is wrong with me? What am I doing wrong? No, you're not doing anything wrong. They're just an asshole. They're showing up as an asshole in this lifetime. (laughs) Exactly. On a spiritual plane, is Mm -hmm. there a part of me, Mm -hmm. you know, once I've gone through that healing, can I hold these multiple lenses? And I'm not saying everyone should do it. I'm just saying it's worked for me and it's necessary for me to do what I do to understand that I am not exempt from behaving badly. You know, and I think this is not just like a whole other conversation, but this is how people don't end up dealing with systemic racism and systemic sexism. They've othered it so much. (laughs) I'm not the racist. Well, except that can you find a place in yourself where you kind Mm -hmm. of are because you are white and you grew up in a systemically racist society. So Mm -hmm. you have to be kind of. And that's not saying you're a terrible person. It's just, you know, so the part of me who's an asshole, who can be ruthless, who can Mm -hmm. not care about people's feelings at times, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or the narcissist in me or whatever, if I disown those, Mm -hmm. I can't be the full healer that I need to be because I will always be running from that. And it prevents me from showing up for really difficult conversations. It prevents me from showing up whole. Yeah. Well, that's a lovely place to wrap up this conversation. <laughs> but God, I mean, we could talk for hours. We could. We could. <laughs> so you've already shared your website. Did you share your Instagram and wherever else other people can find you? I believe my Instagram is, let's, <laughs> let's make sure, Rachel R. Alexandria. So it's my name with my mm-hmm. middle initial in it, Rachel R. Mm-hmm. Alexandria. Awesome. Yes. Yes. So that's a good place to go if you want Enneagram stuff and whatever else I'm going to end up sharing on there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It sounds like you've done a really beautiful job of integrating a lot of different modalities, which is, I mean, we need to get access one way or another. And there's so many different ways in. and, Mm -hmm. And so it sounds like you've really created a beautiful beautiful marriage of all of those in your practice. Thank you. I love it. I love now at this point, like no matter what we run into, I'm like, oh, I have like 15 things we can try and spirit Mm -hmm. just tell me, tell me which one, how to go. Mm. I feel like one of my specialties is resistance because I can be with it and I can sit with it. There's always a way through it. Always. Mm. Well, thank you so much for your time. I, I really look forward to staying connected and yes, supporting your work. And and I just, I wish you all the best. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a wonderful conversation. So what do you think? Are you as obsessed with the Enneagram as I am now, if you weren't already earlier? I love Rachel. I'm really excited to have chatted with her and I hope you enjoyed this conversation. To find out more about Rachel, you can go to our website at www.headhearttherapy.com slash podcast. 
follow her on all the things, buy her books, buy the tapping for your type. I think you're really going to dig her. Thanks as always to Andrea Clunder and the Creative Imposter Studios for editing and producing, to Liam O'Donnell for the album art, and to Ben Mueller for our theme music. Thanks so much for tuning in. Until next time, bye-bye.